I'll never forget in the parking lot after um, Brian had went and talked to some other guys and it was just me and Richard. I never met Richard. And, and I said, look, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just had a very, very quick conversation with me about, you know, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, in my opinion, you're just, you're too smart, strong, and successful to be an alcoholic. And I'm like, this guy doesn't even know me. <laughs> like, he don't even know who I am, but he had known that I own a business and just my general, I guess, appearance. He was just like, you, there's no way you can be an alcoholic. Just don't, like, just remember that. What are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main F's in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ledeen, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, facing my marriage-ending affair, or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. So today's episode is a really special one to me because I know that this is one of the first times that this guest has shared some of his stories and so I'm so thankful that Joe Saputo decided to come on and talk about his drinking, his drug addiction issues, and just coming full circle. I have had the privilege of watching Joe over the last several years completely transform. And it's not because he told me, it's because of what I saw. So I'm so excited for you to listen in on this episode. Okay, so today is my second time like doing an official podcast interview in the studio. You know, most of the time it's on Zoom. So I already told my guest today that I'm already going to have a recording of introducing him because I'm really excited to bring on local people in my community that I've seen them actually change. Like I've watched them over the years change. And so today I have Joe Saputo here. Thank you for coming on, Joe. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So Joe is someone that, you know, I don't want to have to go see him because when I have to go see him, it means that I've probably damaged my car or maybe I've needed some new upgrade because he owns a car star franchise here in Hamilton. And those of you that live here know what Carstar is. It's a very big <laughs> chain here. So as much as I love to see Joe, I don't necessarily always want to see him. I know this last time with Eric's car, <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun one. But over the years, I've watched Joe over at Carstar really give a lot back to the community. And so when I asked him to come on, I was like, I really want some, I want people to come on that you can see through their life, the evidence of the change in the growth and how it completely correlates with success. I've seen Joe take his health seriously. I've seen his culture at his, at his business, you know, grow. And so today we're diving into a lot of things because he had some really good conversation topics that I'm like, okay, this is perfect for my audience. So we're going to start right back because, you know, I know you've struggled with substance abuse. Yep. You know, this is not something that has been, you know, um, take me back to when you think you started drinking in a way of like that you knew that this was not like a healthy relationship with alcohol. Well, I think, I think it started pretty early. Um, when I noticed it, I think it was, uh, I was probably about maybe 24 years old, but you know, right from the beginning, um, like I'd say probably like 17 years old, me and my friends, we'd have one thing on our mind when it was time to drink, right? We'd, we'd go out and get a bottle or maybe even steal one from our parents, right? We were too young. And, um, our goal was just to get drunk and get wasted. Right. So there was never that, you know, uh, tidy way, if there even is something called a tidy way of drinking, but we just had one thing on our mind and we just abuse alcohol, get drunk, pass out, throw up or whatever. But, uh, for the most part, keep it together. But it wasn't until after uh, I had a car accident in uh, 2003 and it was a pretty bad car accident. Um, and this, I mean, I'd say a really bad accident because you can still see the scarring how many years later. I mean, yeah. talk me through that. Like what kind of damage 
Well, it was, yeah, it was pretty severe. So uh, I was coming, we were coming off the highway and we were hit head on. And uh, I was uh, semi-ejected through the windshield in the passenger seat. Uh, my knees uh, smashed the dash pretty hard. My whole upper body went through the windshield, but my, my knees hit the dash and kind of locked me into the car, uh, broke the pelvises, uh, hip bone, and then basically the entire left side of my face from above my left orbital, orbital bone to my cheekbone is was completely crushed. Had to be uh, had to have multiple surgeries. Had multiple reconstructive surgeries to my face, and then some minor plastic surgeries to do some shaping and stuff like that. Um, the hip, uh, everything was fairly repairable, but you know, with that being the major joint there, you're, you're going to have nothing but issues there. And um, that was in three years of physiotherapy, did, wow. did a work hardening program, which consisted of uh, 12 weeks. So for the first two weeks, I was there for two hours a day. And then the next two weeks, four hours a day, and then six hours a day for two weeks until I got up to nine hours a day, just trying to learn to, to function again, you know, for the first three months after the car accident, I was in a wheelchair and a walker. And it's funny because they said, you know, we're going to teach you how to walk again. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, like I was pretty athletic and strong. And, you know, it's funny when you don't walk for almost three months, you got to learn how to walk again. You know, like these little tiny toes, they play such a major right. part in walking. And you're like, this is insane. Um, that was the, that was, a, that was really tough. And then of course, having the care of my mother and father at home, um, they were a huge help. And then having the, the, I was lucky that, you know, I was working for them and I had to, you know, they would let me come back to work maybe for an hour or even three hours a day just to kind of, you know, your brain falls asleep, you know, yeah. like you just, you, you don't know what's going on. And in between the, the amount of pain that I was in was incredible. And, and what you're trying to do is recover. Right. And you have good, you know, they say, you know, you have good days and bad days. I, I, I think we have good hours and bad hours, right? especially when you implement medication. Yes. And then you start abusing medication, right? And the medication was, was terrible because, you know, I would, I would take medication. I'd feel great for a few hours and then I just, uh, I'd start to lose my mind a little bit, get, get fussy. And, um, again, the brain was, was so sporadic on what I was feeling, emotions and depression. And then, you know, I'd swallow two or three perks and, and feel great for, for a couple hours until your body kind of gets used to it. Right. And then that's a big problem because then you start dealing with alcohol, right? And, and I started really abusing alcohol to the point where medication didn't really do too much. It would, it would kind of like mentally, I think it would fix me, but come, you know, 11 o'clock, my sleep schedule is so bad. You know, I'd wake up some days at one o'clock in the afternoon and, uh, I'd come to the point where 11 o'clock at night, uh, I would just start, you know, lightly drinking. Like I'd mm. take a shot of whiskey to try and it was such a great, it sounds so bad to say, but it was like such a great medication that like I'd take one shot of whiskey and I'd just be like, oh, like great. You know, like I'd fall asleep. It would be great. And then the next night and a little bit more and a little bit more right. and a little bit more and to the point where I was like, you know, I almost drank myself to sleep. And that, and that progression was interesting because again, living in under a roof with my mom and dad, they're very successful and they're very sharp. They came from nothing and they've seen everything. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I couldn't get away with doing that without them knowing. Right. So I would basically wait for them to go to sleep. But what I would have to do is hide liquor in my cap, like in my closet or even in the bathroom where I like fake going for a pee and like going to the sink and swig something. You know? Right. And then it just got to the point where, you know, uh, I think I dated a few different girls in that span of call it like four years, um, where they'd just be like, you know, like, are you all right? Like, this is kind of weird, you know? And, um, then of course, when the weekends would come and it would be time to go out and have some fun, everybody would be hammered and I would be standing there like, when are we going to, when are we going to step this up? Like, I'm not even. Cause it was just kind of like you, you were used to all that. Yeah. I could drink a half a bottle of vodka and like totally fine you know and uh that's when things started spiraling out of control you start to get into the cocaine and you know again being around my mom and dad and some more successful people you can't get away with that right you can't be in public high and drunk and these and people are like oh yeah he's just having a little fun they right. look at you and they pull you aside and they're like buddy 
what's you going okay? on. Like, what's wrong with you, right? Which I will say, you have amazing parents. And I think that's really important because, you know, this could go two ways with you, right? Oh, you yeah. could be completely out. I mean, I've seen people lose their lives all starts with, say, a shoulder injury or a back injury. They get put, they, they get on Oxycontin or something, Percocet. And then before you know it, that prescription goes out. Well, they're already addicted at that point. And, and, and I say this because so many people are quick to judge like, oh, you know, cocaine. I just think people are really, really naive if they don't realize how you know, the, the progression is very easy nowadays with, you can't get that Percocet anymore. People are looking for something. They move to heroin. They yeah. move to, mm -hmm. you know, other things. So how, so how long did this last for you with like the cocaine and drinking? Well, you know, again, with, with, uh, the, the synthetic stuff was very short because again, you just can't get away with that. A, it's very expensive and B, you know, and I was never a great drug addict. If you could call, even call it that, right. like, you know, if any of that ever got into my body, it would be like, I'd be, you could basically put a spotlight on me. You'd know that I was just a mess. Right. So right. Uh, it was more of the, of the alcohol and, and you, you hit the nail right on the head when you talked about the shoulder injury, because, uh, some of my best friends, uh, throughout the years, uh, hockey players, uh, one of my closest, dearest friends, Brian McGradden, mm -hmm. NHL hockey player. He went through that in the NHL. He was one of the first NHL players to to go into the substance abuse program, and that's what it is. Being a fighter, um, you know, started taking drugs, and it's the Percocets and stuff like that. And and I was living that, like I knew them. You know, Ray Emery, another dear friend of mine, who we lost. Yeah, you, know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like I, I seen it before he passed away. We'd play golf together a few times a week, and and I knew it. he was doing drugs at eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, and then at nighttime with the text would come in, I knew he'd be all messed up and, and all that starts with injuries and, yes. and being in that culture. Like you said, you have to be so naive to not think, and it's not NHL players. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking about anyone, anyone. in general. Um, and if there's a spotlight on you, it's a little bit different as well. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it, and it so getting back to your question, um, this went on on and off severely for about 12 years. Wow. Um, in about, I would say. 2012-ish, when I met my now wife, I knew that I wanted to settle down. And and when I met her, I, I, I'm i telling you right now, the first date that I went on with her, I knew she was the one. And I know it sounds so cliche and so, so silly. but Knowing her, I, I don't even doubt that. And yeah. I actually think that, I mean, we'll go down this in a minute, but the power of a positive influence on <sighs> you, right? Yeah. I mean, she just... There was something about her that I knew right away that she just made me feel different than anybody had ever made me feel when it came to affection and love. And, um, of course I would, you know, on the weekends I'd get a little, I'd overdo it and she was okay with it. She would just be like, wow, you're a bit of an animal. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, but again, um, moving on from there, you know, I, I knew I'd be a bit embarrassed where mm -hmm. I never would be before. I would just be like, oh yeah, we, we, we. We got a little roughed up last night and, uh, and, and I would never, never, I wouldn't care about it, but with her, I'd feel a little, I'd feel a little different. And then the next week it would come and I'd be like, all right, let's get banged up this weekend. And she'd kind of look at me like, yeah, okay. Like, that's not cool. Um, when I met her, that's when it started kind of toning down, but then I would have the slips. And, um, when we moved into, to, to, to our house, um, there would be those nights where you know, I would sneak downstairs and I don't know if I should really use the word sneak, but I would, I'd go downstairs at 11 o'clock and without her knowing, I'd pour probably a half a glass of vodka and just pound it back in like a matter of a few minutes. And I'd be like, okay, I can go to bed now. Well, you know, one o'clock in the morning, you wake up and, you know, tiptoeing back down those stairs and she knew, and she just kind of was like, listen, like, this is not like, I, I don't know what's happening with you, but like, this is not cool. You can't do that. I, I never would have thought that you even did that. Right. So that's when we started to tone things down. Um, when I started to tone things down, um, but getting back to Ray, Ray had moved back to Ancaster and, um, 2015 or 16. And, uh, we hooked back up. He joined Heron Point where I was playing uh, my golf at the time. And we started playing a lot of golf together. And, you know, we'd start drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'd be like, geez, like, I can't go home like this. Like Maggie's, right. Maggie's going to be like, are you all right? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's unacceptable. Right. 
And uh, I would do it though, you know. Power of influence. Yeah, to get in trouble with her. And and of course, again, I knew, I knew that it was just not right. And then, uh, you know, I started spiraling out of control a little bit here and there. And it was, it wasn't mainly because of him, but, you know, that's how it happened. If he wasn't around, I wouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. And then I started kind of like thinking to myself, you know, this guy's an, he's an NHL Stanley Cup winner. And he's such a great dude. Like this guy, he's, there's no words to describe him. He's like, he had the most infectious smile. Like one of those people, like when they smile, you're just like, I love this guy. Uh, always said good things. And, um, but he just, he would just pound drinks all day long. And he, he always had his, uh, his Louis Vuitton wallet with him. And you knew what was inside of it. And he'd sneak away and he'd come back and he'd be like, oh my God, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. What are we doing here? You know? And I kind of reached out to Brian. I was like, listen, like raise a bit of an animal, you know, like this is at this, at this age, you know, you'd think so much success. And, you know, yeah. this is, this is not a little issue. This is a major, major problem. And he's just like, look, you know, he's, we've tried to help so many times because uh, at this point now, Brian had been sober for about nine or 10 years Oh and, wow! and he had tried to, to help and uh, you know, nobody really got anywhere with him. And um you know, about a week before he died, we had a golf tournament, Ray and I, and we went to this golf tournament and, and, and we got pretty banged up. Like it was, it was a good night. And, uh, I remember waking up and my, and, you know, I, you know, kind of leaked out to my wife when I got home that had been a bit high and that I was overdoing it. And she was just, at that point, she would not, she was not accepting of it at all. She right. just, she wouldn't talk to me. And, um, I was just like, I was about to reach out to Brian and say, listen, bro, like I, I need some help. Like I'm. I can't do this anymore. And I had a child at the time. Right. Sandy was about one and, uh, and, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, believe it or not, it was a week later, I got the phone call at five o'clock in the morning that, you know, Ray had, uh, he'd been in the water and, and he was gone. And, uh, you know, I called, I called Brian right away. He lived out in Calgary. And, and I said, look, you know, I, I just, uh, I just heard that, that Ray's, that Ray's gone. And, you know, he was, uh, he was so close with Ray and, you know, he, he'd think that he kind of maybe would have cried or that he would have, you know, paused, but, you know, it was like basically an immediate response of like, you know, you know, I, I knew it, you know, like, it wasn't like he, he said out, you know, I knew it, but it was almost like he was just kind of waiting for the, for the phone call. For the call. He was waiting for it. Right. And I was beside myself. I, I was, I couldn't even hold myself together when I was talking to him. I was crying like crazy. And I, I saw it all happening. I saw me and him. I, I saw others in him. And, you know, I just said right there on the phone, I'm like, that's it, man. I'm like, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. Um, I, I, I can't ever drink again. And he goes, well, you know what? Like, I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there in the next few days. Um, We'll talk about it. He came home and um, before we were going to his celebration of life, mm-hmm. uh, we had met up with uh, another uh, another guy, uh, Rich Rich Clune, um, who's a former NHL hockey player as well. And, um, you know, I just had a very quick discussion with them. Like, you know, I, I just, we're going to go say goodbye to Ray. And then after that, I, I need your help. Like, I really need it, especially now because I don't know what to do with myself. Right. And these guys, Richard uh, had been sober uh, at the time. I, I shouldn't even say because I think I'd be guessing, but I think around the five-year mark. Right. Who Brian had had helped out. And they were just so – these guys were like soldiers. A, they're monsters. They are sculpted like they're absolute animals. And they carry themselves like soldiers. Like they were just like, no problem. We're going to take care of it. Like I was falling apart and they were just so strong. And we did our thing. And I'll never forget in the parking lot after um, Brian had went and talked to some other guys. And it was just me and Richard. I never met Richard. And and I said, look, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he just had a very, very quick conversation with me about, you know, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, in my opinion, you're just, you're too smart, strong, and successful to be an alcoholic. And I'm like, this guy doesn't even know me. <laughs> like, you don't even know who I am. But he had known that I own a business. And just my general, I guess, appearance, he was just like, you, there's no way you can be an alcoholic. Just don't, like, just remember that. And I was like, whoa, okay. So we had, we went out for dinner and 
Brian had mentioned like, you know, um, we're going to see what we can do. And, you know, Richard's here in Toronto, so you can get his number and reach out to him. And, you know, we had talked about maybe going into a program and, and I just, all that stuff, it made me feel embarrassed, but much more, um, scared. Right. And, and what I had gone through with losing Ray, I, I thought was enough to make me never drink again. Like, I'm like, I don't think I need AA. I don't think I need any of these things. I had been quietly trying to stop drinking. And I had done it a few times where I'd, we'd go to a wedding and I'd be like, I'm not going to drink tonight. Then I wouldn't. But then the next weekend, I'd make up for it times two. Mm-hmm. So I had already prepped myself for that. And I having the conversation with Richard, I was just like, he's like, you know, I got the program in Toronto. You can come out. We'll take care of it. I'm like, I just want to start on my own. Let me see. My wife is now fully aware and I'm around her 24 hours a day. Um, those friends of mine who it was the same schedule, meaning every time I was around them, we would just be turning it up. I was going to dial it back with them. Right. Um, and it's not their fault because right. you know what? The majority of those guys could get a little tipsy and shut it down. Whereas I couldn't, Right. but I can't be around those guys. And, uh, I did it on my own. I just, I, I text Richard every once in a while. Um, he would even check in on me a little bit and, and I, and I did it on my own and I had always looked up to Brian because like, I'm telling you, he's like six, four, two twenty five, whatever he is, tattoos. He looks like a murderer. Like I'm serious. <laughs> he looks, he's a good looking dude, but like, he looks like a killer. And when he tells you he's sober, you're like, like talk about us being judgmental, right? Right. Like he's got tattoos everywhere. He's huge. Yeah. Your stereotype is like you're, you're a partier. Yeah. Like, are you trying to tell me you don't drink? So I always looked up to him for that. I thought it was unbelievable. And I found it so honorable. And I was like, I want to be like that. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I, where I went into it with my head. And I texted him every once in a while. And, 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 and I never had a slip up. I had a few times where I thought, okay, it's been a month. Maybe I can just have a drink. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're completely out of your mind. That is the craziest thing you could ever say. That is the definition of addiction. I love that. You, I, and that's the mistake people make, right? Is, oh, just just one more time or I can yeah. casually. And, and you know, you almost have to talk yourself through what am I gaining mm. from doing it, right? Yeah. Because if we look at like why we're drinking, because this will be a topic I know that Eric is planning on coming on and he's been dipping his toes and sharing his, he's had a drinking problem. He, you know, told the kids, I think I'm an alcoholic. Like I, I you know, in process of you know, trying to recover. And he has agreed. He cannot be someone that can just have a drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked through those questions of why is it that we initially drink? You know, what makes us, I know for Eric, it was the guilt of the affair. Like it was like, I just need to cope, right? Mm -hmm. For someone else, it might be an injury, some traumatic event. You know, I think one powerful thing I think of you and why, you know, one thing to anchor is how powerful you are with your rehab. Because I'll tell you what, I I mean, I know you didn't touch a lot on that, but I don't think people realize, man, the perseverance to have to learn to, when you talk about months and months and years of rehab, I don't think people realize how strong your mind is because I know last week with my, I had radiation last week. And so I've had... I had chemo and I'd had immunotherapy the week before, and then I had radiation. And so my pain was in a whole new level and it made me see how much my, just my overall like direction was so clouded because when you have pain, you can't even think straight, you know, you're short, you know, it's, it's just harder. And you actually start to like, you know, I remember, I think it was day three of radiation. I came home and, you know, Eric's like, you're doing so good. I go, I hope I can do this. Like, cause I was feeling so defeated physically mm. that I'm like, you know, he goes, you can. I'm like, I just want my body to be able to keep up. So as you were telling that, I can't even imagine, but I think it's what also helped prep you to become strong these years later. Well, I mean, look, look at you. When, if I think about having a drink, why don't I just think of Amy? Look what you've been through. How, why can't I think to myself to go like, Look at these people that I'm around. They're inspiration. That's what I'd like to consider to be called organic inspiration. Mm-hmm. Because I can read books about it and, and, and load all this knowledge up into my head and it's great. 
But those are the things that I call organic inspiration. Someone like yourself, where I go, look at this girl. Look what and she's I, been through. <laughs> like, and, 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 and I'm trying to struggle with having a glass of wine. You know, you can, you can, you can put yourself through those types of situations mentally. And, and uh, yeah, there was only a few times where, um, you know, I'll never forget when we were having my, my second son, Alexander, you know, I, I do struggle with anxiety, but more so anytime there's something medically going on. So we were in the hospital, uh, my wife had got the epidural and I had to leave the room and the anxiety took over and there was a, there's a, there's a bar down the street that I used to get hammered at. And I'm like, honestly, if I, if I just slipped out down there, hammered a half a glass of like, cause at this point now I've been almost a year and a half sober. Mm. I'm like, I don't need it. I just need to like, just knock off this anxiety. Cause I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. Right. right. Like I'm so scared that, you know, either Maggie can get sick or, or hurt in the hospital and maybe something wrong with the baby. And I, I just need half a glass of vodka and all of that will go away. I'll never touch it again. I just need it then. And what do I do? I pick up the phone. And I call Rich, excuse me, in Toronto. And I go, bro, I'm losing my mind. I, 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 I this is like one of the first times I need, like, I really need to have some alcohol. And he was just like, He's like, did you, like, I, I, he's like, I'm away right now, but I, 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 I buried one last night or something like that. And I was like, oh, no way. And he's like, yeah, I snapped one bar down or something like that. And bang, right there. Like it was 12 seconds that my mind was completely off of alcohol. And he's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, do you see what, like, where's your mind bringing you? Why? Like, if you just get off of that for a second. You won't even think about it again. Right. Your wife is about to have a baby. Go be there for her and your son. And he texted me that after. He said, just make sure that you're there for your wife and your son. Nothing else matters. Booze? What are we talking about here? Right. This makes no sense. And just that 14 seconds or so that it was where he was like, yeah, I buried one last night or something. My mind was completely away from it. I'm like, what an idiot I am. What's wrong with me? Like, how did my mind even go there, right? Right. And that kind of just makes me like puff my chest out, you know, like, like, what am I even thinking? Kick the door open to the, to the, to the, to the room that Maggie was in and are like, okay, let's go, let's do this. Right. And, um, you know, another thing too is, is how much I've helped other people. If I've ever thought of it, which I do every once in a while, it's just like, oh my God, like, will I ever drink again? And when will it happen? I just think about how many people I've helped. Mm-hmm. even guys that I know that are in my circle of friends that they keep it so quiet and they'll just be like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm having a bit of an issue. Like, I just, I don't know how to turn it down, you know? And I'm just like, it's totally fine, man. We like, I'm trying to explain to you guys, we never ever learned how to drink and yeah. you shouldn't have to learn how to drink. I'm just saying like some guys got married and toned it down. Some guys had other things happen that made them tone it down, but the majority of guys just kept that going. Right. They'd go to a wedding and they'd just get knackered. Like, and you know, it's not, it's just not normal. Right. So a lot of guys are still doing that now on weekends and they just kind of call me and they're like, you know, I just need some direction. And I just give them positive words. Like, you know, I just really envy those guys who can go out, have a couple of drinks, have a great time, remember it. Right. You know? Um, and I think it's just them doing the same thing that I did with Brian, where they look at me and they're like, Oh my God, this guy's successful. He's got a beautiful wife, beautiful children, beautiful car, all of these things that we obsess over. Right. And I don't drink. And I think it makes it easier for them. Right. It does. I mean, and, and, you know, Eric was the one that had brought it, you know, the attention to me. He's like, man, you know, Joe has just changed so much because it bleeds over into other areas. You got healthier, you Mm -hmm. know, um, And I truly believe there's a correlation between our success and our businesses when we're taking care of ourselves. Because when we're loving ourselves, I mean, when we're not coping with alcohol, period, because we like ourselves. I always say that, you know, I started drinking through my affair because I hated myself. And so this was the way of like, okay, I can cope. I can kind of numb myself, but never really addressing our demons, for lack of a better word. It's a great mask. Totally. You can put that mask on in your car. You can put it on before you leave your house. You can put it on in the mall. You can put that mask on anywhere you want. It's in your purse. You can just put it on anytime you want. Um, yeah, it's just it's just magnificent uh, that in the last little while, I actually had a, a friend that I've known uh, almost my whole life, uh, a, a girl who's my age that's a friend of mine's sister, 
<clears throat> and she reached out to me a few weeks ago and said, Hey, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm in a program at Sunnybrook. Uh, and I, I swear to God, I, I, my heart stopped for a second. I was like, are you kidding me? She's uh, married with two children, super successful, husband's successful, kids are, kids are amazing. You know, it's funny how we, we, we look at all these things and think there's totally. no way, there's no way that alcohol can be a factor. Look, look at our house. I mean, you, you know a little bit about it and yeah, Eric's like, Hey, I'm going to be super open, but he just recently, you know, shared on with someone, he goes, Hey, I bet you wouldn't know. I mean, his daughter caught him peeing in the room. Like he was drunk. And he didn't know where he was and, you know, totally that blackout state. And the person he was telling it to, I know was completely shocked, but he's like, I'm, I'm telling you this because people don't see this side of anything. They don't know that we were at a, we were at a personal development, like mastermind in California. We'd gotten in such a bad fight. Drinking is always involved that we had security come to our, our hotel room. And I said to Eric, I go, Oh, the irony. We're at a personal development, you know, mastermind. (laughs) And here we have security. And I share that because I'm tired of people having this like fake front that we're all so great that people don't struggle because like you, you know, if you knew someone was struggling, you'd want to help, you'd want to support. And the power of influence. I mean, look at you saying you're not drinking. I guarantee you've had other people around you then in those situations, they think twice about drinking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So how has this affected your relationship? Obviously, during those times, I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't have Maggie here to, to talk about it, but I know for me, it, it was hard. I mean, lose a lot of trust at times, yeah. um, hurtful, you know, at least with Eric, hurtful things have been said at times where I know he, you know, hates when he wakes up and goes, what happened? You know, what did I say? What has been the, the you know, what's happened since finding out, you know, I mean, really you struggling with it to now? Um, you know, I just, it just, it, it bred success in every way, uh, with Maggie, with our relationship, with our children, with work. And and I think Maggie just kind of, um, her respect for me went up to another level. I bet. It, it was, it was incredible. Like, you know, it was nothing but arguing about <clears throat> drinking and fighting about being hung over the next day. And now that all those times are freed up where I can, you know, I could love her more and I could love our children more. And, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, maybe cleaning up in the backyard or, you know, just simple things like that. Whereas before, like you, you can guarantee that I'd be on the couch right. for a day and even sometimes drinking again. Like, you know, people oh, yeah. call it, people call it hair of the dog and they use that term loosely. And every time I hear that term, I just want to, I want to, I just want to scream because that's called alcoholism people. Like you don't get hammered the neck and then the next day go, Oh, this is how you cure it. You drink more. What are you talking about? I, like, we, Eric has been guilty of that where I just needed a little bit to, to kind of come off or whatever, right. To coast. About? But when really it's like one, I mean, I'm sure you were the same way. Cause once you're kind of convicted of knowing it's not good yeah. and it doesn't serve you, it's like, it hits you twofold. The physiological ones, which is like, I mean, you're hungover, you don't have as much energy, yeah. but then it's also the condemnation of, oh my gosh, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I feel like a piece of crap, which then actually makes you not even really pour into your spouse because you're feeling so unlovable. For sure. Then you're like, I'm unworthy of your love. So it's like, I know with Eric, it would almost be like he would withhold and it's not because he wanted to withhold. It's he's feeling so unworthy. And then I'm like, well, now I've had to deal with your drinking yesterday and now you're not going to show me love. Like you're thinking that, right? And it's just this it's a crazy cycle, yeah, right? For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 crazy, but that just breeds that that level of of uh, of success and growth. And you know, a big thing that I kind of left out of there was in, in right before the year of uh, Ray passing away, I had joined the Hamilton Golf and Country Club, and that was I would have to say has paid more dividends in my life mm. than anything that I've ever put my money into, so to speak, right? Um, not in my business, in my life, like, you know, people like we were talking earlier, just about, uh, you know, what people don't see in us and, you know, going back to like the president of a huge insurance company that I would always would have thought would be, you know, such a professional person. He's in hookers and cocaine, right? Um, at the Hamilton golf and country club, I mean, that doesn't happen there, but you see all of these incredibly successful people 
And, and you think half of them don't have a drinking problem or some type of abuse in their either relationship or whatnot. Mm -hmm. like we're all, we're all just normal people. This is, this is, this is normal. And when I saw some of these guys, I would be like, you know, I kind of keyed in on a few guys where I was like, you know, that guy drives an amazing car, good looking dude, great style, uh, carries himself incredibly. And, you know, he's kind of a booze hound. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and it was easy for me to you know, like kind of lock arms with him, right? But there was the exact same guy on the other side who would be like, okay, boys, you know, we finished playing golf. Okay, boys, got to get back to work. That's exactly. And I'd be like, oof, that's, this guy's crazy. I mean, that's like, we just, we just had six or seven beers on the golf course. Now we got to, we got to get banged up together. Like, that's kind of what we do, right? Right. And, um, during that time, so we'll skip to after when I, when I got sober, it was the difference between those two groups. Yes. Um, and it wasn't that I cut anybody off at all. Right. And half of those guys didn't even know. I think a few of them were kind of like, you know, when they found out that I was sober, they'd be like, I didn't know you had a drinking problem. Right. They had no idea, but it's because it had gone on for so many years. I'd got <clears throat> what I'd call like a professional. Mm -hmm. I was super good at it. Mm -hmm. I could hide it well. I would do it well. And then there was the other group of guys who were just like, I didn't even know you had a drinking problem. Who cares? Let's move on. Like, you know, you're a great golfer. You're a great guy. You're a great father. Um, why are we even talking about alcohol right now? Like, right. It doesn't even make sense to them. Right. And you see that, that we go back to that thing that Richard said, strong, smart, successful. Yep. And, you know, I, when I had Ed Milet on the podcast, you know, we, it was right at the beginning of COVID and we were talking about, you know, I said, what do you think is the biggest factor in like what will separate the successful person? And he goes, it's your environment, meaning the people you're around. He goes, I make sure that my circle is tight and that circle is cheering me on. They want me to win. They don't want me to do those other things. And it then opens up possibility to you when you start to see wow, this person really does have it all. I always say success leaves clues. So I'm looking for the successful person. And then I'm like, how do I model what they're doing? Because mm -hmm. I want that, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's exactly, you know, you couldn't have said it better. You know, I, I sometimes I struggle to find the words to, to, to get the point across, but he's hundred percent right. I have about, you know, four people in my life that are like, I might as well be locked arms with right now. Mm -hmm. And I still have my friends that I grew up with, like who I'd call my best friends. And right. there's just a bit of a distance there. That's all. And, uh, I'm sure like the, for the first little while around me, they were just like, you know, uh, we're not drinking. And I'd be like, no, you, you can't do that. Yeah. It's kind of weird for me now that you're not going to drink because I'm there because I know what's going to happen. You're going to sneak off and have a drink and right. then come back. Right. And you know what? I got to applaud them because as being like my closest friends, they never, they never tried to be like, Oh, just, just have one, you know, like I'll never forget. I baptized one of my best friend's uh, daughters and, you know, it was time to take shots. And he was like, you know, it's just an Italian thing. You know, we all right. have a big cheers and stuff like that. And, you know, he was really, really clear that, you know, make sure that Joe doesn't get a shot. And, you know, we were taking a photograph and, you know, we have the, you know, the glass up in the air for cheers. And I thought, oh, you know what? That's okay. I'll, I'll do it with you. Like, I'm not going to take a shot, but give me a glass and I'll put my hand up in the air for cheers. And I did. And, you know, Maggie was kind of like, you know, you know, why'd you do that? Like, did you? And I was like, well, Megs, I'm not going to drink it. I just, you know, it's a, it's a photograph they're going to have forever or something. Right. And kind of started confusing me a little bit. Like if he posts that on Instagram. Right. Or something, you know, people are going to be like, oh, I thought Saputo was, was sober, right? So, you know, what do I want people to think of me? You know, is it going to be somebody who's always has a glass of water in their hand? Or, you know, is, is image so big that, you know, I can't do that? And I, and I guess it's, it's true, right? And, uh, you know, those friends have done a great job of making sure that, you know, that I, I don't have a slip up. They ask me, you know, how are you feeling? How are things? And uh, when we get together at weddings or stuff like that, they... You know, I think they kind of shy away from doing shots in front of me and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have to be that way. Now I'm just, I'm so successful in the recovery portion of it that I'm almost an advocate for it. Where yes. I'm just like, you boys go ahead, get banged up because I'm going to be sitting here and, and I'm yeah. going to be good, you know? And don't you think in a way sometimes like that could be someone's safety is being very public about it. Like I would say, hey, anytime I've struggled with something, I put it out there because then I know I have an extra layer of yeah. accountability. For you know, sure. we say this with dieting to clients. Like if you, you know, like if it's your pain, a lot of spouses don't know, say it's like their partner's pain. Like I'm really uncomfortable in my body. I always say, 
you better go share it yeah. because some people just, you know, it's like they might casually say, oh, I'm, I'm not drinking. They don't realize this was a massive right. problem for you. And so I'm always like, I'm, I'm, I like to tell people, Hey, this is kind of my, uh, my ethos. And this is what yeah. I kind of, my, my code of conduct. And, sure. and this is why, right. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, and one of the biggest things too was, um, my, 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 my literal best friend, Ryan Anderchuk, he works for us in the, in the collision center. He's our master platinum, call him whatever you can call him. He's literally the best technician in the world. Mm -hmm. And he knew about it the whole time. And, and he would always kind of, you know, him and I have had a funny relationship throughout the years. We never really got too sentimental with one another, but he'd always kind of call me over on the side and just be like, Hey man, like I, I'm so blown away with you. I cannot believe it because he sees it in the collision center he mm -hmm. sees it at car star every day and he's like buddy like this is actually miraculous i cannot believe how amazing you are doing inside of the inside of work you know you're you're extra early you stay extra late or don't get me wrong in between there's there's times where i'm not there extra early but he would immediately be like joel you're doing such an incredible job with this business it's mind-blowing and it's it's 100 percent related to alcohol Totally. A hundred percent. They take nothing away from it because on those good days where I wouldn't be drinking, you would see it. And then all of a sudden lose Joe for a day or two. And when I say lose Joe, I'd be there. But just not at your full. I, yeah. I would have been coming in late and I would have been dragging my ass the whole day and, you know, just hard to stay on track. But he was, he was motivation for me because, you know, I, his, the respect coming from him. And it's funny to say, cause like I'm the boss, I'm the owner, but the respect coming from him exactly. is the most important thing to me because he's the guy that I look up to the guy who's the strongest piece of my, of my business. And he's the one telling me that he's so proud of me and that I'm doing a phenomenal job mm -hmm. is like the most amazing thing that could ever happen to me for sure. This is a perfect place to go with it too, because again, with that success, you know, I'm sure the culture is really, really strong because now you're being the true leader, the okay. leader that is like, not don't do as I say, you know, just yeah. do as I do. Instead, I'm like, I'm here showing you guys. And I find that, you know, that type of leadership, they want to show up for you more yeah. because then they see, they're like, man, this is, we're, we're all doing this together. Yeah. And I'm sure with your business, I mean, I know you're very successful and taking it over from your dad, you've only made it better. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is a big, big part of it is becoming yeah. sober. Yeah. And and that's again, you know, when I said getting sober has, has just breeds, it's breeds success is exactly that in the business. And now again, going back to some of those guys at the, at the golf course, the country club, you know, I look at those guys and look at them and like, they're such great leaders and they, they have, you know, the great car and the great house and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I think about that. And when I go back into the collision center, I, that's what's on my mind. I want to kind of, I want to kind of go down that path and, and nothing's going to stop me. And that's being surrounded by the best team. Um, funny enough on, uh, on Friday, we did this big overhaul inside the shop, painted the walls, cleaned everything up. And, you know, when I posted that on Instagram, I just, I got to tell you, I was so proud of my guys. Mm. Um, I hate being um, the boss because I'm, I'm right in there with them. Right? Yes. We're, rubbing, we're rubbing shoulders and, they did such an amazing job. We laughed together. We sang together. Uh, we ate pizza together. You know, it was just like a family. Like, that's what I remember doing when I was little mm -hmm. with my aunts and uncles when we'd clean the house or doing this and that. And I posted on Instagram and, and wrote, you know, I, I just, I'm so lucky to have these people around me all day long. And I didn't want to use the words, you know, I'm, I have the best employees and, yes. you know, I, I don't like that. It's uh, team. It's, it's team. Yeah. And, and, and I wrote all that. I don't know what I did to be so lucky. And this guy writes underneath there. I think that has something to do with leadership. Absolutely. And it's a hundred percent right. And even on the, on the weekend, one of, one of my guys uh, helps out at a tree farm. And he said, come see me on the tree farm. We'll get you a tree. And I brought my little guy, Sammy, we went to go get a tree. And, and he, he introduces me to, to his, to the guy running the place. And he goes, Hey, this is my boss, Joe. Um, and I said, no, no, I said, I'm not his boss. I'm just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a friend from work who signs his check. And you know, the guy's like, well, doesn't that make you his boss? And you know, he just didn't really catch what yeah, I was trying he, to say yes. there. But like, um, I just, you know, having those guys around me at work, uh, my success rate is, is tenfold because we have, yes, sure, I'm the leader, but I can't do nothing without these guys. So nothing. true. You know, they, they, everything that they do is, is a pure reflection of me. And what I do is a pure reflection of them. And, it, and it's very easy for me to walk up to a guy in the shop and go, you know, 
hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, like we're, we're driven on production. We, our production system is the number one thing that that heartbeat's got to keep on pumping the blood. Once it stops, we have a heart attack, we break down. And, you know, I, I believe that I have a very clear path and forecast of how that needs to, uh, that production needs to flow through the shop. And I will ask one of the guys, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Like, I don't need to ask them what they think. I know what needs to get done. But, but just you're... giving them the accountability and, and that, that power that, hey, this guy's coming up to me asking me what I think because your opinion matters to me. It really yes. does. Like, I don't yes. need, I could drive it into you all day long. Exactly. But having you part of my team on the leadership portion, like we're doing all these changes in the shop. And I went up to every single guy and said, you know, just tell me what you think we need in here or what we don't need in here or what you'd like to see more of and all these things. And again, you know, taking these courses and the leadership courses mm -hmm. and all the production courses that I'm taking, I don't need to ask my technicians what they think I should do. I just spent all this money learning this stuff from the industry's leaders. But that doesn't, that's not enough for me. Great. I want to know what they think. I want to hear their feedback because what's good for them is good for me. We're yes. not just in investing in equipment that makes their job easier, that makes their health easier. I don't want these guys crawling down on the floor and, you know, uh, use it. Like, I don't want them to bend more than they have to. I don't want to have, I don't want them walking over to a cabinet. We do something called spaghetti mapping. And it's basically following them all around the shop. There's, there's 14 guys walking around the shop. And by the time you're all done, you see this big bowl of spaghetti. And just that in itself, like we're going to drive more production, but also I think about their health, their, their needs mm. and walking around, like wasting time is one thing. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking right. about their health, right? And, and just getting their feedback on that is, is huge. But then I, I get it from my corporate office as well, from Carstar Corporate that, you know, I, I got the guys telling me all the time, wow, man, like you guys are doing such a great job. We're all so proud of you. And, and, and it's just that, that level of success is, is because my mind is not wasted on recovering from drinking. It's, yep. it's just, again, people like yourself, people like Eric, uh, some other friends that I have that they're, you're always on my mind where I'm just like, you know, that organic inspiration of, I, I see you on Instagram all the time. And in my mind, I'm just, I'm praying for you all the time. And, and I'm thinking to myself, God, like I've got a bummed hip. Right. But and I have a problem. You know, I'm thinking about Amy, right? And like, just kind of have my hands crossed all the time thinking, you know, think about Amy, think about, you know, other people that I know that they're going through some things. And um, that's kind of where my mind is. It's not on recovery. Well, and that, and you know what, people listening today, there is going to be someone that will tune in that has a drinking problem and will be able to anchor you. I, I always say to people, and the best thing you can do is if you're struggling from something is you actually go look for the opposite. I Google it. Like I'll look like when I got diagnosed this time, I'm like, I need to research and see how many people have beat it at seven years because that gives my brain possibility. Mm -hmm. So anyone in business right now that's like struggling, okay, I can turn this around. I can like make my team trust me again, because I'm sure it's, you know, it's a lot of rebuild, mm -hmm. but so worth it because I mean, you just see the success and the happiness yeah. in your brand. Yeah. And once, once you, once they start paying dividends, it becomes a habit. Like I said to you earlier, um, before we started recording, like, you know, I, I had two avenues there after my car accident, I was dealing with depression, um, you know, all these feelings that I didn't know. And it would be, it's just so easy to abuse alcohol and drugs and feel amazing mm -hmm. because it's true. Like as disgusting as it sounds, you know, when you're all messed up in your mind and you pound some alcohol, you feel unbelievable. Exactly. For those but, moments you're, but I have two sets of friends. I have you. And then I have the other guy who wants to, who wants to get messed up. And like, it takes a lot of work to be like Amy. So that's, that's really, really hard to do. It's so easy to just pound some mm -hmm. alcohol and, and, and feel better. But I think, you know, once I started doing that and I'd be like, oh, I want to be like Matt and, you know, slowly but surely I would, I was kind of getting there. And same thing with Amy, when you start paying dividends on, you know, what you want to be in the success and the, t and the hard things that come with it, it starts to become in its own sense addiction. Yeah. You so know, it's I, your new, it's your new chase, right? It's, it's my new thing where I'm just like, you know, I, I don't look at people and want to be like them, but I like to take little bits out. Like I want to be as courageous as Amy. I want to be as dedicated as Matt. I want to be, you know, like you right. start taking these little bits and pieces and you know, it's going to be a lot of work, but that's kind of where, you know, 
I grunt, like, you know, like I, I lock my jaw a little bit and nothing's going to get in my way. And like I said, it's like going through the grocery store and taking little bits and pieces off the shelf mm-hmm. that you need to bake with. You know, I need a little, I need an ounce of this. I need an ounce of that. And that's kind of what's going through my mind in the morning where, you know, you, you, you start thinking like I wake up in the morning and immediately I get out of bed. I have to hold on to the wall because I have such, you know, my, my balance is way off and I'm still going through so many issues and, you know, if, if people can understand, you know, when you don't sleep well and then you wake up in the morning in pain, if you've ever woke up in the morning in pain, do you know how much that sucks? Yes. You started your day in pain. How do you have any type of, of inspiration to, to go on with this day? Right. You know, it's so, so, so hard. So what I would tell people is like, you know, you, you got to have a goal. You have to have something. You have to be chasing something that you know. Nothing's easy. Nothing's going to come easy. But that's right. kind of the payoff where you're just like, you know, I wake up and I hang on to that wall and I'm like, one day I'm going to put my whole arm through this wall. Like, I'm, you know, right away you kind of use that aggression mm-hmm. to power you to get to the toilet to go pee. <laughs> By the time I do that, I'm up and I'm feeling a little bit better take a big breath of air. And then I hear one of my two boys. I was just going to say, you know, I hear you talk about being a dad and it lights you up being a spouse. Is that your driver? Is that what every day gets you up? It's, it's a hundred, hundred, hundred percent. Like, uh, I, I just, I love, I love these guys so much. It's, it's, it's incredible. I have no words for it. Like these guys drive me crazy with the love that I have for them. It's like, uh, everything they do, their little faces. And, and it's funny because it's true. By the time I get out of bed, put my hands on the wall to kind of help myself get out of my bedroom, go to the washroom. I can hear one of them. It might be them crying. Right. It might be them laughing. It might be them yelling for me or something like that. And it's, it goes back to that thing that Rich did to me when I was craving alcohol. When he goes, I scored a goal last night. I went bar down. It was unbelievable. Took my mind right off of wanting a drink. Well, that's what the boys just did to me when I was just like yes. waking up in the morning going, oh, here we go again. I can barely walk. My back hurts. My ear hurts. My eyeballs hurt. Whatever. I hear their voices and I'm like, oh my God, here we go, baby. And then, you know, what do you think that does for me? That makes me want to be successful. Exactly. You know, having my mom and dad, they, you know, I grew up with nothing. Like, I mean, not, I mean, I don't mean to be one of those old men who are like, yeah, I walked to school. With no <laughs> right, shit. right. Uh, um, we had nothing and watching them do what they did. My parents goal there, I think their entire life was, it was obviously for them to be successful, but they've always built the life for their children. Mm-hmm. And I thank God every single day that I wake up that my mom and dad are healthy. Um, I want to do the same thing for my kids. And I mean, look at what my mom and dad have did for us, right? Totally. Like, they came, they, they just, they don't get me wrong. There's a little bit of luck along the way. But don't kid yourself, the hard work that they put in is just unbelievable. And having this conversation with with Maggie, I think last week was, I get a little bit out of hand with buying gifts for the kids. (laughs) I I buy them Lego like crazy. And she gets upset, like genuinely upset. She's like, you're out of your mind. A, it's expensive. And, you know, you, what are you going to do now? Like, you know, you buy them something every day. And it's true. Our little Sam, he's, he's a little brat sometimes. Or he's like, I want a new Lego. I want this. I want that. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a second here. You can't have when you just ask for it, you know? And and she made it really clear to me. And I understand completely that you, you can't just do that. There's got to be something in there, you know, like maybe a reward and maybe not even a reward. She's like, you know, when they do things that they should be doing, they, they shouldn't get a reward for that. Right, right. Like going to bed, you're going to get a reward. Right. You eat your dinner, you're going to get a reward. And I'm That's just kind of like... Well, it makes things so much easier. And she sits there and she's like, no chance in house. She's kind of teaching me there. But but the most important thing is, um, you know, I know what it was like to have nothing. Mm-hmm. And now I do maybe get a bit abusive with spending sometimes because, you know, I, I almost died in a car accident. You know, I almost died again another time that we won't, we won't get into, but what are we saving this money for? Now, don't get me wrong. Right. Succession planning is very important. I understand. Right. But, but with that money, like buying a hundred dollar Lego here and there is like, you know, that's what I kind of want to do. And my, and my mom and dad did it the worst, like with, with Sam when he was younger, like every time they'd come over, they'd have to bring, it started with a lollipop. Right. Then it turned into a soccer ball. Then but it they turned didn't, into this. And they didn't, he made you work for it. 
right? Well, and that's, you got- that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at. We're like, I've seen it all come through. And, and I had this discussion with Maddie where I'm like, she made it very clear. Like if he grows up having all these Legos and having all these mm-hmm. things, you know, what are we, what, what's going to happen when he's, you know, getting into the business if he does. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and get him into the business if he doesn't want to. But you know, what I did last night was him <clears throat> with him was, when we went to bed, I, I put him to bed last night and I said, Sam, I'd like to say a little prayer. And we're just starting to kind of pray. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, what do we do today? And what we did was we woke up in the morning and my really good friend who's in my tight circle came over with his son and we had breakfast together at eight o'clock in the morning. And then by nine o'clock, my friend and I left. We went to Hamilton Golf and Country Club. We played golf in the simulator until 11. Then we came home. So I said, what happened today? We, we we woke up and Oliver came over. We had breakfast together. You guys built a Lego, of course. A Lego. Right. And then we got in our car. We drove out to go see Mikey and got a Christmas tree. And we brought a Christmas tree home. We put all of our beautiful ornaments on it. We listened to music. Then we went to Nono and Nunna's, my mom and dad's house. Right. And we had, you know, we walked into the garage and there's a beautiful, brand new 2019 Ferrari, Ferrari. on the hoist. We went inside of his house. Of course, he got a hoist in his garage. Right. We go inside of his house, and we're playing with Formula uh, Formula One Ferraris on his racetrack in his basement. Then we got home, did some more decorating. So I'm like, we're looking at this day, and I'm like, Sam, we need to be thankful. Yes. Like this is a day that is it's it's actually a dream in my mind. Exactly. Like, in my mind, I'm like, this is an absolute dream day. Yep. And on top of all of that, if you, if you take all of that away, just put that on the side for a minute, we're all healthy. Mm-hmm. And especially today with what's going on, it's the number one thing is health. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get Sam to understand he's only four. So sometimes it's hard for me to talk to him because I'm used to talking to our team at Carstar right. and, and on a high level. And I'm talking to this four-year-old. It's right. really hard for me to use the words, but I just kind of made it. I wanted to make it simple. We walked into Nono's house past a Ferrari. We went in the basement. We played with Ferraris. We went into his theater room. You know, all this stuff. And I'm like, Sam, we have so much to be thankful mm-hmm. for. And there's so many children out there that that don't have what we have. And, and I'm not talking, you know, it's hard for me to get them to understand. I'm not talking about Lego. Right. I'm not talking about a Ferrari in Nono's garage. I'm talking about kids don't even have one thing that we did today. Right. Some don't even have a roof over their, over their, over their heads. They don't have food. You know, and I just want to take this time to to thank God for everything that we have. And if we can ask God to help some of the other children and families in the world that, you know, are are not seeing what we see. Because right. what we see is, uh, it's, it's a dream. You know? It is. So I'm just trying to get him to understand, you know, these things that, that we have and how important they are. Or maybe sometimes how unimportant they are. You know, right, like walking by that Ferrari, it, it could be a a '94 Cavalier. Yeah, it's all for, it's all in what you if it's your dream, right? Exactly. So I'm just trying to get them to understand. But then you know, I told Maggie, and she was like, "Oh, that's so sweet. I'm so happy that you did that." But you know, don't forget about that the next time you buy them a Lego. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to it. Oh, it's it's it, and it is hard. It's you know, I I do see your dad's influence on you so much. I mean, even just the few times I've been around your dad, he's just a giant. I yeah, mean, just yeah. a giant in his words, in his support, and encouragement. So, you know, it's no surprise that you have turned out the way that you have because and I know that that would make him so proud you know more than anything it's to see your children succeed and do it better than you and you're doing it better yeah yeah well that's that's uh that goes right back to him because this is this is an incredible story and this is this might be actually responsible for shaping me to be the man that I am today was you know I was I was a bastard in high school I wasn't I wasn't a good guy I was I was terrible I was into selling selling drugs and um, you know, I never finished school and, you know, I'd always skip out and all that stuff. And I was getting into some serious trouble and, you know, I got suspended like crazy. And what would happen is they'd call my parents. My mom would come pick me up. Um, this is in the prime of their career. They, my mom would leave work, come pick me up and we'd get in the car and she'd take me right to work. And that's exactly what I wanted. I'd go to the shop, I'd roll up my sleeve. Like I'd been working in the shop forever since I was a little boy. And I don't mean you know, sweeping the floors. You I'd be, were doing I'd be it. tinning on, 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 on steel, right? 
and uh, I'd get suspended left and right. And I'd say, take me to work. Perfect. This is where I want to be. But my dad, he was such a fierce guy. Like he used to, he, he used to give it to me pretty good when I was younger. You know, he'd slap me around a little bit and very justified, you know, it's not like he'd ever punch me in the face or anything like that. But you know, when I'd get in trouble at school, he really wouldn't say much. He'd just be super disappointed. And I was like, that's kind of weird. I was expecting him to give me a beating. Like, right. he wouldn't, right? To the point where it got pretty serious when I was in grade 12. And I was just like, you know what, guys? Like, the, the school called me like, listen, like, this guy's going to get expelled. We can't take this guy anymore. He's a mess. And I told him, I'm like, perfect. Perfect. Pull me out of school. Let me come to work. You know that's what we all want. I help you. Right. And you're helping me, you know? And my dad's like, if you don't finish school... You're never working for me. Like, I don't know. You think that you're going to be some guy who's not going to finish school and then come work for daddy. You're out of your mind. Finish school. Shut up. Like, what are you talking about? Shut up. You're a smart kid. You just make all the wrong decisions. Mm. You know, and he's right. Like, I just, I'd be chasing girls or hanging out with the cool crowd or whatever. Meanwhile, I, I wouldn't do, you know, basic grade 10 math. You know, I couldn't get that done. Long story short, I got expelled and um, my dad came to pick me up which is never what happened. It was always my mom. So my dad pulls up and I get in the car and he doesn't say anything. And he goes left. And I go, well, where are you going? Like the shops to the right. He goes, I don't know where you think you're going. You're going home. And if you don't get a job by tomorrow, you better find a new place to live. You better call your grandparents <laughs> because you're not going to live here any longer. I told you, I'm not joking around. I'm not going to slap you. I'm not going to yell at you. I've had enough. If you don't finish school, which you didn't, you got to get a job and you're not working for me. And you know what? I swear to God, I broke down in the car. I started crying. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of screwed here. Right? So uh, car star Rymel down the road as uh, was, is maybe still, maybe not anymore, but was the biggest collision center that car star had in all of Canada. And uh, I called one of my, <laughs> I called one of my buddies and I'm like, you got to take me for a rip over to that store. And uh, you know, I got to go ask go him for a job. And I walk in there and, you know, the owner, Raymond, goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I'm looking for a job. And he's like, oh, no, what happened? And I'm like, yeah, I just, I can't work for my dad. He won't let me. And he literally, right in front of me, picks the phone and calls my dad. And he's like, what is going on over here, Sam? Like, it, can I hire him? And my dad's like, yeah, he's not coming to work for me. So uh, I did my apprenticeship there. And it was, it was the best thing that had wow. ever, 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 ever happened to me. Because two things. One... My dad's not my boss. Yes. Two, it's the largest collision center in all of Canada. So what I learned there in the period of time I did my apprentice, my apprenticeship yes. was 10 times, 20 times, 100 times more than I would have ever learned in my dad's collision center. Absolutely. And it was the best thing I think that my dad had ever did to me. It was it was incredible. And a lot of times now... Even people in the industry would walk into Rymel and they'd see me there. And they'd be like, what the hell are you yeah. doing here? And uh, yeah, I mean, by the time I got back to my dad's car star location, which was, I got my apprenticeship license and all that stuff. And uh, I came back in there and it was like, you know, it was like a, a sense of accomplishment too, right? And, Absolutely. You know, like it's true. Like I can't, I gotta be honest, you know, you know how many times I was late going to work at Rymel and the guy, he filled me in in front of everyone, sometimes sent me home. You Which know, is, and, oh, your dad just went to a new level of respect for me because tough love with children is so hard to do. And that was for you. You probably would have mouthed off at work with him and not, you know, like not at that place to be coachable, trainable. Yeah. Wow. I'm yeah. telling you, your dad, that's yeah. amazing. Cause that's hard for a parent to do. Yeah, no, no doubt about it for sure. I mean, I gave him every reason to though. Like he warned <laughs> me enough, right? Yeah. But, yeah. It was the best thing he ever did for me. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, what what made me, oh, gosh. you know, made me who I am. It's, it's that, you know, that's that kick in the butt. And, you know, the same thing came when I lost my license to speeding. Like I can tell that uh, going through all these stories, you can tell <laughs> what kind of, a, what kind of a guy I was and what I am now. But like, you know, I, I lost my license and, you know, he bought me this amazing truck. We worked on it together. We turned an F-150 into a lightning you know, we put all this money into it. We did it ourselves. We built it with our own hands. And then I lost my license. He warned me too. He's like, you know, don't mess around in the city and this and that. And I did. And I got caught doing uh, 150 in a 50. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, the next day he had the car on the lawn at the shop for sale. And I, I did the same thing. I broke down. I was like, Dad, like, you know, he's like, hey, you can't drive for six months. 
Mm-hmm. You're suspended for six months. I'm like, I will pay you back for the truck. Do not sell it. And he's like, you are out. I don't give a shit about your tears and your, your, I promise this. And I promise that you had every chance yep. you messed up. You're out of here. The truck's gone. And the truck was gone in less than a month. Just sold it right on the lawn. Some guy came and bought it. And, uh, that just goes same story. Yeah. Like, I don't give a shit, man. You have everything. My dad came from now. He's the guy who tells the story about, I had to walk to work with no, right. no shoes on. And you know, when and you, he, he, when yeah. he, he built everything himself. And when your kids roll in and yeah. they're not listening and they want everything for free and they don't want to follow the rules. I think it may have even been easy for him to kick my butt out the door and say, go do it somewhere else if you're not going to do it with me. Well, I think that is amazing. And what a perfect ending to this. I mean, so many special nuggets in this show today. I mean, first, just the drinking and how much it's just changed and shaped you, but also this tough love. I mean, I hope as the parents listen in, I know I have had to learn this with my children that we're not doing them any favors and that I, I mean, I know my parents' tough love is what's shaped me and it's definitely for you. So thank you for being on here today, Joe. This has been great. Pleasure's mine. I appreciate it. Okay, another episode in the books, and I'll tell you what, I am loving this podcasting gig. I cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews, for the comments that you've been sending me. It gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear. And my one ask here is this, I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out, and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you. 